Welcome to Building the Future. I'm your host, Kevin Horick. You can check out new episodes of the show every Tuesday and Thursday at 2 p.m. If you missed an episode or want to get more information about the show, please visit buildingthefutureshow.com. SoupX, the Startup Expo, North America's premier startup conference, is March 6th and 7th, 2017, in sunny Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Affordably priced, SoupX is a two-day international conference featuring workshops, panels, speeches, a $50,000 startup competition, and over 100 exhibitors. For more information, go to sup-x.org. Welcome back to the show. Today we have Brian Oliver Smith. He's a global entrepreneur, performance mentor, and lyric tenor. Brian, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Nice to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on the show. You you have a impressive background. You're doing some really interesting things. But maybe before we kind of get into that, let's get to know you a little bit better and kind of start off with where you grew up. Sure. I grew up in um, the south suburbs of Chicago, a okay. little town called Harvey, Illinois. So it's about uh, half hour, 45 minutes south of the loop. Okay. And for, for people that don't get that reference, what, what does that mean? <laughs> the loop is where the, uh, the L train, the elevated train, instead of subways, they have the L. And the loop is uh, where it circles around it. And that's the downtown. So I was about 40 minutes south of downtown Chicago uh, growing up. Okay. No, that that's very cool. So you you obviously went to university. What did, what did you take in university? Um so I I went to uh University of Indiana University and I studied psychology. Okay. And um I studied psychology and also had a, a major in history as well and my area of psychology was industrial organizational psychology. So I actually did my senior thesis on uh Job satisfaction and personality variables, kind of like what, what makes you happy in your job. Okay, I'm curious to dive a little bit deeper in that. What what did you find? It was interesting. I found that a lot of times uh, I I did a, a pretty extensive survey of about 500 people at a local manufacturing plant in um, uh, Kokomo, Indiana, and what I found was that uh, whether someone was satisfied or not satisfied with their job was mostly were closely related to their personality variables than it was to actually what they did on the job. So it tended to be if it was a good fit for their personality and their personality was one that looked at things more optimistically, more positively, uh, more engaging, then they tended to approach their job the same way. Okay. No, that makes sense. That's interesting. Um, so you, you obviously went to university you came out of university, you entered the workforce, kind of walk me through kind of your your career um, and then kind of how you kind of got into, you know, coaching and training. Sure. So my first career was with Mass Mutual, the insurance giant. Um, Mass Mutual did everything from insurance and investments. They bought Oppenheimer funds. And um, so I built a, a pretty strong client base was in commission-based sales in Seattle, ended up at, with about 700 clients in the Seattle area, and very quickly, about three years in, developed a, a, a national expertise in disability insurance. I ended up selling more disability insurance than almost all 5,000 representatives with Mass Mutual. Wow. And so they, they, um, they asked me if I could teach them how to do it in Seattle. 
So I taught others how to do it in Seattle, and um, we led the country out of uh, 120 agencies. We were number one in the country. We beat New York and L.A. So that kind of put me on the radar with Mass Mutual, and they then hired me away from my local practice. They hired me away from the local agency in Seattle and asked me if I'd be a regional director, um, which was very interesting. I look back on it now, and I remember I was 30 years old, Nice. And I was um, the youngest regional director by over 14 years. Everyone else was over 44. Wow. Uh, yeah, so I ran the South for Mass Mutual. I ran at 30 years old. I had 28 offices and about 1,500 sales associates that I trained on disability insurance. And then after two years, they asked me if I would help run the West Coast, and I ran the West out of um, Seattle, I went back to Seattle and I ran the West Coast. I had 26 offices, everything west of Tulsa, including Hawaii and Texas. So I had a chance to travel and teach people how to do it. And it was interesting, when I was in insurance with uh, Mass Mutual, I ended up having the opportunity to start working with Dr. Stephen Covey with Seven Habits. He needed volunteer trainers in the early 90s to do some work with the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And I loved the book, and I thought the teaching was solid. So I um, signed up to be one of his first trainers that he had as volunteer trainers for the Seven Habits in Seattle. And um, so to finish that that first path of my career, um, I was traveling a ton, and then I was asked to run an agency in Portland. So I was a second in command for the Mass Mutual Agency in Portland, Oregon. And then was stolen away by the biggest agency uh, on the West Coast, which was um, Los Angeles and Beverly Hills. And they asked me to run as a second in command the Beverly Hills office. So I ended up down in Los Angeles. And, uh, and then I woke up one day when I was 35, mostly because of a hobby that I was doing. I woke up one day and decided um, I don't really want to be in insurance for the next 20 years. I loved it. The people were great. They were caring. I learned a ton about leadership and sales and management. But I'd been doing it since, you know, the age of 22. Sure. So I thought, you know, there's got to be something else. So I um, left insurance and everyone, everyone thought I was crazy because I was on track to have my own agency. But it was time for another challenge. Sure. So, so what did you end up doing? Well, interestingly enough, while I was – traveling out of um, Seattle and then while I was in Portland, I started taking voice lessons at age 32. Really? And I, yeah, I just, I just, I'd sung a little bit in high school and college, you know, but none of my majors were, were singing. I was just doing it for fun. A lot of people sing, you know, when they're young. Sure. And what happened to me was um, I auditioned for and made the chorus for Seattle Opera which is a professional opera company. That's There's huge, about, actually. <laughs> it, was, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> I mean, sometimes, sometimes when you try something, you don't know how hard it is. It, sure. um, it works out. So I didn't know that I wasn't supposed to make the chorus in Seattle. There's about 480 people. They took, I think, wow. 12 of us. And before I sang with them, I went down to Portland, uh, Portland, and I actually missed their auditions, but the chorus master asked me to sing for her and they offered me a contract for the whole year. So while I was in Portland in insurance, I sang with Portland Opera. And then when I went down to Los Angeles, 
um, I auditioned with Los Angeles Opera, and which is the most competitive probably uh, west of Chicago. Sure, I can and, imagine. Uh, yeah, it was. I mean, every actor, actress, singer that wants to do anything in L.A. tries to audition for Los Angeles Opera. So, um, you know, I, I luckily made their chorus out of about 400. They took, uh, I think, six of us that year. Wow. And, um, and that was part of what prompted me to get out of insurance. I just, I thought there was more opportunities to perform, do some other things. So um, I left insurance and started singing professional opera with Los Angeles Opera, um, you know, when I was 35. <laughs> that, that's, that's incredible. That, that's amazing. I, I love that, right? Because like, like, most people try to be what, like a rock star in their kind of teens, maybe into their 20s, and then kind of give it up and never touch it again. And, and I love how you kind of came into, you know, performing and playing music and singing in your 30s. I, I think that's awesome, right? That's, that's inspirational. Uh, thank you. I, it was, it, you know, it's, it's added a level of richness. And I mean, there's a level of richness, you know, monetarily. I mean, I've been paid pretty good money for operas. And I, you know, for doing something I love, I can make maybe $10,000 for six weeks. And that's a pretty good paycheck. But, but the reality is I've also done it for free. Sure. And, you know, I've, I've done six or eight weeks with North Carolina Opera for nothing because the richness that it provides is all throughout your life. I mean, it just it just permeates everything. So and that's what people forget. They get in their 20s and 30s and they forget that there's something they enjoy doing. They set it aside because it doesn't feed their career and they don't realize that actually it feeds every part of them and can drive them in their career as well. So so I ended up um, singing in the evenings and then I was hired to run a technology company during the day in Century City as their executive VP of sales and marketing. And uh, that was an amazing ride. That was Benny Allegem, who sold Packard Bell for, sure. I think it was like $400 million to Group Bull and NEC. And I was on his executive team of a group of startups. And uh, we would f- fly around in Learjets to raise money up in Sand Hill Road or to raise money in New York. And then um, I made sure that I was always back to sing for the opera in the evening. And then what happened for me is when that wound down in the tech crash of the, um, you know, around 2000 or so, we wound down that company. It was called Vault Technology and AST Computer. I decided to go in and get some training and executive coaching because I, I was feeling like, I, you know, as part of the startup, I felt like we wasted a lot of money. And sure. I said, you know, there's got to be a way to work with entrepreneurs, not waste money, to help people grow, to do things. And, you know, that's what I studied in school. And so I started an executive coaching company. I went and got certification through Coaches Training Institute, which is the one of the largest in California. It's part of the behavioral sciences. So I could do the Myers-Briggs. Then I got training with Daniel Goleman and emotional intelligence for the leadership 360s. And so I felt pretty strong. And I um, built 15 years ago an executive coaching practice. And uh, it had a funny name. It was called Passaggio. Okay. Which is it's your that's an Italian word for going through the passage. Gotcha. So singers go through the passaggio to go to their high note. Oh, so okay. if you can't if you can't make it through the passaggio, you're never going to be a good singer. And so that's what the. But I'll tell you, it was a disaster. You know, as an entrepreneur, you learn from your mistakes. <laughs> sure. No, nope, nobody could spell it. 
I never had one check made out to me spelled correctly. They're like Sagio, Sagio. So um, uh, for me, Kevin, what was fun was I coached entrepreneurs on more creative parts of their business. And I coached creative people on how to develop more of a business for themselves. Like sure. I had a top photographer out of um, New York who was amazing. She's just amazing photographer. And I helped her start a practice in Los Angeles. And then I helped a couple of entrepreneurs develop their presentation ability and confidence. Um, and one of them I worked with for three years. And he sold his company for, uh, to the Chicago Tribune for $42 million. Wow. And uh, yeah, it was a huge exit. And another one I coached sold their company for $30 million. So the guy, Martin, who was a great friend who I coached for three years, said, Brian, you, you really should do this yourself. You really should be an entrepreneur. You, you've got the skill set. You've got the presentation ability. You've got the uh, – he said, and if you come up with an idea, I'll back you. Because, you know, the coaching you gave me over the last three years helped this be successful. Interesting. And, um, you know, so if you, if you do this, uh, I, I will help you. And uh, so I thought about it. And sure enough, uh, about a year later, I had started my first company um, after Passaggio. And uh, Martin invested. He was my first angel investor. And, and what company was that? It was a company called Sounds Publishing, S-O-U-N-D-S, Sounds, and it was audio publishing. Okay. And so we did um, audio books, audio stories, kind of like, used to call them books on tape. Sure. But when yep. we did them, we, we never put them on tape. They were just put on CD. Got you. And, and then we, we did a lot of short stories. So we fed the short stories into iTunes. We fed them into Audible. Um, Audible was a giant client of ours. We also sold on drugstore.com. We did a lot of short original fiction and romance and sure. uh, it was quite successful. We had um, publishing partnerships with Random House and uh, and then we ended up doing a publishing partnership with Kensington Publishing. And, uh, and you know, because I've done a lot of speaking and presenting. I spoke at the Audio Publishers Association conference and the next thing I know, I... Um, I morphed that company into my last company. I decided that I wanted to do something bigger and something that would help the world a little bit more. And so that company was the company that morphed into my more recent one called Urban Planet Mobile. Okay. And, and so what, what was Urban Planet Mobile? So Urban Planet Mobile was the first um, company in the world that developed education products for mobile phones. <laughs> So mobile phones around the world, this was 2007 when I started the research. Sure. And I did a, about a year of research. And in 2007, the iPhone was just barely getting introduced. So mm -hmm. all the phones, if you think back, were what they call friolitos. They were little <laughs> flip phones or little black beans. Yep. And um, so what I saw was that the only thing that was being delivered on, on those phones was short bits of music, little things of you know 10 and 20 second ringtones or maybe a jumping frog game. And I said, why can't we deliver something that helps people more, at, like education? So I had a background in audio. I had a number of audio engineers. We actually had a recording studio that we owned. And so we explored how could we get English language learning into the same file size as a ringtone. So a ringtone plays for 10 seconds, but we were able to get a one-minute English lesson into the same file. Interesting. And and that's what we did. We found out 
the research that I did found that the number one thing for audio in the world is music, but the number two thing is language learning, and English is 85% of it. And it's about a billion people learning the market. So it was kind of like um, if you help someone learn English, it changes their lives. Their incomes go up. Their education level goes up. It's just amazingly powerful. So that was the original idea for Urban Planet Mobile was to develop a product called Urban English to deliver English learning every day around the globe on mobile phones. That's awesome. And and that that company kind of blew up. Like you guys were huge, correct? Yeah, it, it, it really grew. I mean, first of all, I, I have to tell you, I had an amazing team because we started this thing in the worst time possible. You know, I did about a year's research, took my first outside investment in April of 2008. And so, you know, you and most of the listeners can remember that September of 2008 was a pretty ugly time. Yep. <laughs> <It was a laughs> horrible time. And we lost half of our initial investment and everything. But um, somehow we muscled through. And I attribute that. I mean, I'm very perseverant, if you will, in a stubborn way. But the reality is we had an amazing team. And that little team from Urban Planet uh, developed to the point where we, we grew to be about 25 total at our highest point. But we developed distribution of urban English in 45 countries around the globe. Wow. And we, we had about 900,000 downloads a day wow. you know, or 20 or 30 million a month. And it was all the places that you could think of that are remote and interesting, but not the U.S. So like we had our first market that was really quite successful with over 100,000 daily users was Indonesia. Interesting. So we used, we taught English to people who spoke Bahasa Indonesia. And then we developed a very big presence in Central America, Guatemala, Honduras, Nicaragua, El Salvador. And then we did the same thing in, um, in the Middle East. We had a big, big subscriber base in Saudi Arabia. We were in Iraq before it was blown up by ISIS. We were in Yemen and Jordan. So it's basically places that were very early emerging economies and they would pay two to three dollars up to five dollars a month for an English lesson a day on mobile phones. Interesting. Huh. That that's really cool. So you did that for kind of eight years. What what happened? Did did you sell that company? walk me through kind of Yeah that yeah that company so that company continued to grow. Um, I think one of the things I'm most proud of uh, for Urban Planet, and besides, quite honestly, the team, which was uh, amazing, um, it raised you know four to five million dollars. It grew to forty-five countries, but we won eight global awards. We won the first GSMA Mobile Award for um, best mobile learning. So we beat Pearson Education. We wow. beat the British Trust. And and the reality is, I mean, that's like winning an Academy Award for your first film. I mean, totally. there's some people who've done it, but not very many. So we won like best um, app in Asia by uh, Frost and Sullivan. So we, we had a combination of pretty wide distribution in 45 countries and a very good reputation with eight global awards. We did a project for USAID, which was uh, mobile literacy in Uganda. So we won a $300,000 grant from USAID 
in uh, called All Children Reading, and we were one of only two mobile companies to have ever won that. That's awesome. And um, yeah, it was cool. It was a great program. We delivered daily early literacy lessons to young moms in Uganda. I mean, it was so cool, and we and it was successful. So what happened to Urban Planet was um, in 2015, 2014, I was looking for another round of funding, and instead I got a phone call, and we ended up um, selling the company and merging with a um, public company, a small, uh, small public entity that was doing what's called an education roundup, okay, and uh, or education roll-up, and they um, they decided to purchase. Urban Planet, so we were purchased by a public entity, and I was brought in as CEO of the public entity through the um, purchase, and then I raised the company about uh, $9 million in the first six months, and then I stepped away from it after about six months. So it's kind of like I'm a little more entrepreneurial, so going from an entrepreneurial move fast environment to the shell shock of a public company with the reporting uh, and recording elements of, you know, an elephant sure. is, was just wasn't a good fit. So, uh, so yeah, so we exited that company um, a couple of years ago, and now I'm building other things. Sure. So it sounds like, you, did you take some time off after you kind of, you know, got acquired, you raised them some money, you stepped away? Did you take some time off in between before you kind of moved on to found uh, Boss Performance, or, or what happened in between there? So in between, it's funny that you asked, what a great question. So um, uh, my wife decided we should take some time off, and we took our three girls and traveled to Europe for seven weeks. That's awesome. You know, a couple months after. I saw, yeah, which was great. I mean, it's like the reality is uh, we kind of lived that adventure. So we traveled to Europe for seven weeks, and at the end of that trip, one of my investors from Urban Planet came over to uh, convince me to help him with his uh, startup, his early stage company. So I, uh, I came in and helped him uh, raise a bit of capital and move the company from uh, Lebanon where it was to Ireland and, and decide to focus, even though our corporate holdings were in Ireland, decide to focus a little bit more on the MENA region. They were trying to boil the ocean, which was very difficult. Sure. So I did that for, for a year. And uh, what I realized in that year is while I, I loved helping him and I love other people, I do not like working for anyone else and that'll never happen again ever. Sure, sure <laughs> enough. Fair, so. fair enough, man. Fair enough. I, I get that. I get that. So is that – so then like is that why – sure. So is that kind of how Boss Performance came to be or, or walk me through why you decided to kind of found that, start that up? And so Boss Performance is kind of a – it's kind of something I've been thought of. I've been sorry, been thinking about off and on for the last uh, twenty years or so. I mean, the sure. reality is, my degrees in psychology and history. I've worked with Stephen Covey and and Goldman. I've done executive coaching um, and got that certification fifteen years ago, and then I went off and and became an entrepreneur. And so, boss performance is kind of a, a if you will, kind of a mashup of those two. It's, and the idea behind it and the drive behind it, Kevin, is that I see around the globe there's an amazing amount of talent, just an amazing. I mean, I spend um, – I've been to 61 countries, so wow. I travel nonstop. Yeah. I mean, That's I've amazing. been very fortunate. It is. It's, <laughs> it's amazing. 
and uh, I have to get my passport renewed because <laughs> it, it can't get any fatter and I'm out of, I'm out of pages in January. Sure. But the reality is America and the United States is so unbelievably fortunate as kind of a fertile ground to start companies. So you can start companies in the United States as an entrepreneur. And, and it's not just because we have such great capital and great technology because you can get capital and technology anywhere around the world. The sure. really great thing about it is it's got a, a history of allowing people to go after their dreams or encouraging people to go after their dreams that is not kind of thought of as like you're absolutely crazy. I mean, sure. there's a bit of a rock star culture with being an entrepreneur and Wired Magazine and everybody should be 25 and be an entrepreneur, which is a little excessive. But the reality is, if you're in the United States and you're in Chicago or you're in LA and or you're in Atlanta and you want to start something, people are very excited for you. Now, your, your wife might be nervous, your friends might mm -hmm. be nervous, but people, you're not doing something that's so strange. Sure. And you have a culture. You have a culture of, of personal development work and information and education that's not textbook oriented. That's been passed down for at least now, you're almost looking at 100 years, but certainly 50 plus years. But around the rest of the globe, that's not true. Around the rest of the globe, they might have good ideas. They might have good technology. They may even have really good cash, but they don't have that kind of uh, knowledge base that um, America's developed in entrepreneurial ventures or in kind of like personal development to pull yourself up make a mistake, try again. You see what I mean? Sure. It's a little bit tougher in other countries. So my goal with Boss Performance is to develop, um, if you will, products and programs that target international markets with um, information and, and products, if you will, to help them grow. So for me, I mean, my, my mission statement is very simple. I want to touch, move, and inspire people to take action in their life. And the areas that I work in are only those areas that I have significant experience and significant success in helping them take action in their life. Because if you're an entrepreneur, you don't have a personal life. Your personal life is your business. Your business is your personal life. And you have to make sure that you manage all of that at the same time. Sure. So that was kind of the germination for it. No, I, I think that's awesome. And I, I think um, just even just obviously being born and raised in North America, I, I think sometimes we forget about the rest of the world, right? And how important it is to either embrace that or maybe start a company there or move your business outside of kind of North America. And, you know, and in your case, like I love the fact that you're obviously doing a bunch of stuff in America and have done a bunch of stuff in America, but now you're kind of traveling. Well, you've always been kind of traveling, but you're, you know, you're living in other countries, you're traveling around the world, you're, you're doing kind of these seminars, you're, you're teaching people um, kind of performance and how to kind of get in front of people. And so I'm curious to know, and I, I just kind of mentioned it, you're doing all these kind of seminars and you're trying to empower people outside of kind of, well, on, on the global scale, right? So what do you kind of teach people in your seminars? Well, it's interesting. I have three seminars that are more uh, what I would think of as personal oriented. Uh, one of them is, is called Life's Not a Dress Rehearsal. And I use music as an analogy. 
just like if people do seminars and they were a sports person or they got to the point where they're a professional athlete, they're going to use a lot of metaphors and analogies that are in the sports world. Well, I reached a level where I could share the stage with people like Placido Domingo and Deborah Voigt. And that takes an amount of discipline and talent. You know, I've spent over 20,000 hours training my voice. Wow. So, but yeah, I mean, it's like, it, that's what people say. Well, what do you do? Do you, do you golf? And I'm like, no, I sing. They're like, what? And I'm like, no, I don't golf, I sing. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, really? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> it takes about, you know, two hours, three or four times a week sure. to keep it in shape that I can still have a high B flat. So, so what I teach people in the personal seminars, I, I teach um, an area called voice for the life's not a dress rehearsal. And that's how to get in motion with uh, using developing your voice. And when I say voice, I, I usually think of a V is for values and you're developing what makes you unique. O is for opportunities and how you create those or, or wait for those. I is inspiration, which is how to be more inspiring and find more inspiration. And C is chiaroscuro, which is head and heart. It's combining the logic of your head and the passion of your heart. And if you don't have both of those, most likely you're going to fail at what you're approaching. And E is engagement. And that's simply using engagement as both a barometer and a goal. So that's my personal seminar uh, for Life's Not a Dress Rehearsal. I'm doing that in Prague, Czech Republic, at the end of March. And uh, it's very exciting because I'm getting a lot of good feedback. And then I have another personal seminar that's called um, uh, It's a Wonderful World. It's all about relationships. Okay. So it's not about Tinder. It's not about dating. It's not about those kind of relationships I I actually have been married for 20 years, so I don't know how to date anymore other than my wife, which we have fun. <laughs> sure. And, um, but it's the idea that everything we do, whether we're an employee or whether we're a boss, whether we're an associate, a coworker, whether we have investors, you know, whether we have friends, that's all relationships. Everything we do is in relationships. And so that seminar is teaching people the skill set of emotional intelligence to manage and to develop those relationships. I am so fortunate that you could drop me in about 20 airports all over the world with no money other than the ability to make a phone call. And I could call someone, no questions asked. They would come pick me up at the airport and help me out. That's great. And that's, that's everywhere from Tokyo to Myanmar to Beirut to Barcelona. And that's simply because I love to work with people. I love building relationships. So then my, my third personal seminar is in, it's called um, Encore. And Encore is for those over 40 who are mistakenly believing that they're kind of done. So there's a lot of time people over 40, they think, oh, I missed the opportunity to start my adventure, or I missed the opportunity to do X, Y, or Z. Well, I've built three companies after age 40. I've had three children after age 40. I've lived international. And the reality is that's usually the, the perfect place to start something new. You got a bit of history. You got So it's kind of dis, displacing that myth that you should be a 22-year-old rock star to be an entrepreneur. You, know, you may be 35 or 45, and that experience is needed. So I do those three personal seminars. And then the four business ones I do are on leadership, which is called Maestro. Okay. And uh, the analogy I use is I've been in performances where the conductor has stopped and could hear a violin in the middle of 80-piece orchestra and about 60 choristers 
and he could hear a violin off rhythm. Interesting. And he was, he was amazing. He was kind, but he corrected that. And today's leadership demands the same. It demands that you are aware of everything going on. Now, you don't need to step down and play that violin, but you better know exactly what's going on. Because if you can't keep an idea of what's going on in your entire organization, organizations today screw up and lose it faster than ever. So it's kind of like the leadership ability to set the pace, to make sure the culture's there, to help pick the music, and then to, to bring out the very best of everyone in that organization. So I do maestro. I do a seminar called Entrepreneur Idol. It's one of my favorites. <laughs> That's, I love that <laughs> name. That's awesome. Entrepreneur Idol is compared. So American Idol has about 10,000 people try out. Sure. And it narrows down and narrows down and narrows down and narrows down to about 36. And what I equate that is that I equate that entrepreneurs are about the same. You know the statistics because you've had that, that, that great radio show, but you know the statistics. There's only about 7% of us that get out alive. Yep. So if you get 100 companies, there's only you know, five to seven that get out you know, with an exit. Yep. So Entrepreneur Idol is kind of like helping people understand what are the elements that's going to be necessary for you to be one of the standing contestants after five or seven years as an entrepreneur. Sure. And so it's, it's very hands-on. It's very practical. It's, it's not just like theory. It's like, okay, here's what it takes to raise money. Here's the different styles. You know, you might want to use debt. You might need to use equity. There's different ways you can do it should you trade services. So I love that seminar, and I'm going to be doing that in, in Santiago, Chile, um, probably in May, it looks like, with some of the um, partnerships I have down there. Sure, and then the great. last couple of business ones that I do are one called Chorus of the Gods, which is modern-day teamwork. You're going to love this because you know it. The top people on my team that I've had across the globe always can go work somewhere else. <laughs> sure. No, that, they, that, that's an, there's no better way to put that, right? Yeah, they all could. So the idea is it's, it's like a chorus of the gods. They all could be you know, gods in their own right to go somewhere else. They could work somewhere else. They could run their own business. So if you kind of have a team today, it's not just because you write them a check. And so this is teaching teamwork from a modern perspective of how do you keep people engaged, motivated, and excited when they might be on a different continent and they might be on a different time zone. And so that's what um, Chorus of the Gods is for companies to do that. And the last one is, um, is, a, sales, um, is a sales workshop called Imboca al Lupo. Imboca al Lupo is Italian for mean... It means in the mouth of the wolf. It's a phrase that you say in opera to, you don't say break a leg. You, oh. you never say that. You say, you say in boca al lupo. And that means, I hope you're in the mouth of the wolf. Well, the crazy thing about that saying, it comes from hunters who used to say, I hope you're in the mouth of the wolf, in boca al lupo, because it means, I hope you're in the center of the action. Uh, I hope you're where okay. all of the action happens. And that's... That was a compliment and, a, and kind of a wish you luck. And so my sales seminar is basically teaching you how to be in the center of the action constantly. It's like how to live with risk, how to manage risk, how to drive risk, how to put yourself out there. Because if you can't do that today in sales, you're toast. You're, sure. you're, you're, everybody can do what you do. So, so those, are the, you know, those are kind of what I do. And and the reception has been great. And the other thing that's really interesting is I'm, 
I deliver um, in January, I start delivering one of my product lines, actually two of them, on mobile. Oh, so I have a mobile a mobile partner who wants two minute videos, and I'm doing one called Boss Talk. Okay. And Boss Talk is is just like um, you kind of think of leadership and personal leadership tips a couple times a week, but um, not tied to the U.S. Kind of tied to you know knowledge that's going to work around the globe. And the other one's called Lady Boss, and Lady Boss is specifically working on six areas that a lot of women in the emerging markets and in the growing global markets have challenges with. So the UN has done a study, a couple of other people have done studies to see where do women um, struggle in their attitude and actions on entrepreneurial pursuits. And so Lady Boss, we, we address about five of those six items continuously in kind of tips, if you will, to help them. No, I, I think that's that's great. And I, I love I love that. I, I think it, it makes sense, right? Especially like obviously in a North American context, but kind of to your point earlier where a lot of people just don't think they can start a company kind of outside of North America in other countries, right? And I, I think that's great that you're you're doing that. And I think even just like the, the thing that I love most about doing this show is I get to talk to people on a global scale and is things and technology gets better, it's only going to get, the world's only going to get smaller, right? And I, I love the fact that, you know, you and I are across the globe right now, and we're having this conversation. And so I think just getting people to think about maybe potentially moving their company or their service or, you know, providing kind of more of a global and looking at the global kind of business community instead of just kind of maybe focusing on North America, I, I think is, at least for me, is, is inspiring. And I love people like yourself that are, that are doing that, right? Because I think that's kind of where the future is going if it's not already there. And I think people can be a lot really successful outside of North America and North America, or maybe just outside. You never know, right? Well, you know, I think, and I think that's a great, it's a great point. Because as you said, you know, you and I are, are in different continents and different countries. And the reality is um, there's a phenomenal amount of opportunity. And I think there's a phenomenal amount of opportunity in the globe, not, not just in North America. Now, trust me, the United States, Canada, you know, Mexico, I, there's so many rocking things going on in different segments. But also there's so, many, there's so much need and there's so much uh, demand in other markets around the globe and people, they just don't pursue those oftentimes because they don't know enough about them sure. or it's, it's either a combination they don't know enough about them or they have fear. Now, fear is, is we all know, is, is, is a future event appearing real. And so they fear that something could go wrong, whatever. And the reality is if they jump on a plane and go there, they're going to find out there's so much demand and interest and excitement for what they have. But the other thing about it is you can hire a lot of the knowledge in the United States that can help you start to look at other markets. Sure. So when we were with Urban Planet, I remember like one summer three years ago, we had seven interns and none of them, they were all from Duke University and they were either MBA or Masters of Science and Engineering and none of them were from the US. It's not because we didn't want it, but we were looking at alternative markets. So we had two from India, we had a, a, an amazing young woman from Russia, we had an amazing young woman from Uruguay. We had, you know, just one from South Korea. 
And so basically, I think that sometimes American companies and American entrepreneurs forget the idea that if you brought in a powerful intern from your local school that's from a country all over the world, you can gain the knowledge as to are you able to, to enter a certain market? Totally. Does it make sense? So you, you don't have to spend a ton of money. You can have them. And, I mean, and that helps you start to do the research without having to drop a ton of money into local offices and plane trips, that kind of thing. Sure. I, I think one of the most educational experiences of my career was I spent the summer taking this design class at um, UCLA and we there was no computers there was no nothing it was literally like in a lecture hall and they had a bunch of people that I think there was out of like 14 of us I think maybe two people were from the states and everybody else was from somewhere else in the world and we had an, we had assignments every week and we had to go back and do them and then we had to print them off and put them on the blackboard and everybody had to go through and critique everybody's design and say like you know in like where i'm from this means that and i take this like that and sometimes it was good sometimes it was bad and that was really eye opening for me because there's certain things that we take for granted and i i think the thing that resonates i think with me is like you take the colors as simple as like red, white, and blue. Everybody associates those colors with America, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. I don't mean that good or bad. It doesn't really matter. It's just a lot of cases, if you put those three colors together, people think America, right? Especially to the outside of kind of the states. And it was like there was a bunch of those kind of moments, and that's a simple example, where I was just like, you know, there was things I never even considered or even thought of but when I was kind of exposed to people from other countries and how they kind of view things, that for me was like very, very eye-opening. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a great example because you said red, white, and blue. And I immediately thought, as soon as you said America, I thought, well, France. If you're hanging out in Europe, if you're hanging out in Europe or in Africa, you're probably going to be thinking of France. And, and I think that you're, I think you hit the nail right on the head is that you have to have a focus but you also have to have a global perspective. So there's, it's a little bit different. I mean, you focus on the market that you've chosen to go after, but in the same instance, you may need to bring someone into your organization who can help open more of a global perspective. If, you know, so a, a prime example is, I think that companies that don't look at how to get into the Latin American market are insane because there's a half a billion people you know, 500 million people who speak a common language. So we think of English. Well, English, you know, is 350 million of us in U.S. and and also in Canada and everything. But there's 500 million. And yes, the the Spanish is different in Mexico from Colombia to Argentina. But the reality is, for your product, it may be similar enough. And those markets are growing. Sure. Colombia is growing. You know, nonstop. I mean, I spoke there in Medellin. And I had 20,000 people at the conference and I was blown away. And the same thing's going on with Mexico. So, you know, and for me, I'm jumping into a, another challenge with the um, Central and Eastern Europe because those, com- those countries are hunger. They're hungry for new ideas and new insight and new education because they have only been a free market for the last 20 to 25, 30 years. Sure. No. So they're totally. they're like a you know like an established country, 
like Prague is established. Tourism is beautiful. It's gorgeous. But their, but their mindset to go after what we go after when we start a new company is only 20 years old. Yep. And it's really younger than that. So I think you, I think you hit it on the head where it's like focus on the market that you're successful, but try to think about how do you add a global perspective? How do you bring someone in that can expand that for you? Sure. No, I, I think that's great. It, it, it's, it's always kind of been fascinating to me. And, and you also, and you kind of covered it throughout kind of our conversation, but you also have some workshops and you kind of do some speaking engagements and consulting. What do you kind of cover on the kind of performance services side of uh, Boss Performance? So it's interesting, the performance side, what I do is I, I, I bring the, you know, the, the techniques and the discipline that have allowed me to be very successful on the, on the performance side in the scene, I bring that to the area that I'm working on with a company in the performance side. So let's say they want to perform in a, in a, in a new market area. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the research. I'm going to learn all of the kind of all the music, if you will. And then I'm going to basically help them learn to perform. Because what, what, what happens with people is they forget the idea that, you know, every day we're getting ready for another performance. And sure. you need to be focused. You need to be disciplined. You need to be rehearsing. You need to be practicing. And whether it's a, a meeting that you're putting together for Wednesday or for Friday pitch or you're raising money next Saturday, those are all performances. And you don't wing it. You have to like be ready. So I teach them a lot of those techniques. I teach them a lot of the planning. I teach them a lot of the discipline, a lot of the structure, and then a lot of the, if you will, kind of like the mindset. I mean, I tend to think that a lot of people have the strategy down, you know, the marketing, the sales, but they maybe underestimate what it takes in the kind of psychology and the mindset. And that's really what's the difference in the top 20%. So I do a lot of that work, if you will. Sure. So I, I know you're kind of doing a bunch of seminars kind of throughout the world. Do you do stuff kind of just almost what we're doing now, just like over the phone or through video chat? Or or is that not something you're really doing yet? No, I do I do, um, uh, I do. do top performance coaching. I did a lot of coaching uh, for, with executives and entrepreneurs 15 years ago when I started. And now when I do follow-ups for boss performance, I'll have people in group coaching. Um, and then the other thing I'm, that I have that's on my website is like, look, don't hire me as a performance or an executive coach. If you want to you know, find a girlfriend or you want to lose some weight, you want to stop biting your nails, don't even think about sending me an email. But if you're up to something that you think will change the world in a very, very big way and you either believe that you can or your organization can, then give me a call. Because I'm not, I'm not someone that does um, short-term coaching on like habitual issues. I've done <laughs> global opportunities. I've built global companies. I've performed you know, for 5,000 people, if you will. And so what I tend to do is I tend to be at a very, very high level, either with groups, organizations, or the kind of like the top level, if you will. Because I want to affect... I mean, quite honestly, it's a very cocky goal, but I plan to touch, move, and inspire over 100 million people in the next 10 years. So at that point, I need to build some pretty big numbers, and I want to help people that are interested in doing that. Brian, 
Sadly, we're out of time. That's that's a great way to end it. So where can people get more information about yourself and Boss Performance? Oh, thank you very much. Um, it's very simple. The website is as it sounds, BOS Performance, no dash, and it is BOS is for Brian Oliver Smith. And BOS Performance or BossPerformance.com will give you a lot of information about my background. It'll give you a way to get in touch with me. You can send me an email. We can jump on a Skype. But I think you're absolutely right, Kevin. If you're ready to conquer the world with your idea, you're ready to conquer the world with your organization, it's like, give me a call and we'll figure it out together because that's what I want to do. That's great, man. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to uh, be on the show, and I look forward to keeping in touch with you and have a good rest of your day. Thanks, Kevin. Much appreciated. Have a great day and call me for anything. Sounds good. We'll talk Thanks. soon. Okay, bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. The music for the show is done by Electric Mantra. You can check them out at electricmantra.com and keep them in the future.